Gary Sherman was a Canadian multi-billionaire and founder of Apotex, a pharmaceutical company and world leader in generic drug manufacturing. He found success in battling giant multinational big pharma companies and was not afraid of litigation, having filed hundreds of cases through his career. He was also a well-known philanthropist, donating multi-millions of dollars and providing foreign aid whenever he could. He was brilliant and generous, but also a ruthless businessman. And on Friday, December 15th, 2017, Barry and his wife, Honey Sherman, are found dead in their Toronto home. The death is initially ruled a murder-suicide, but after a private investigation was initiated by his family, it was later ruled a double homicide. So who killed the Shermans and why? Join the theorists as they wedge themselves between Big and Little Pharma in the Big Pharma Billionaire Murders. Theorizing Case File 258, The Billionaire Murder Conspiracy. I'm Braden. I'm Zell. And I'm Andrew. Woo! You know what month it is? We're doing another special month. We're doing Murder Month. Murder. Yeah. Um, murder Month. In fairness, that's a wicked mustache, Andrew. Andrew did say mustache is a murder. All month. That's why I wanted the theme to you, mustaches and murder. And yeah, I had the group chat, and I literally right. got fucking crickets sitting there well, like an I, asshole. I read, being like, I, I guess read it's not. And I acknowledged, I acknowledged it in my head, and I forgot to respond. Not even. Listen, you couldn't even give me the dad thumbs up. Nothing. Give me, I got no. nothing, boys. The uh, the only time. Well, I was worried if everyone said they were going to do it, then I would be peer pressured into doing it. And honestly, outside of the summer months. Um, like peak summer, like July, I can't pull off a mustache, especially winter months. I am cultivating mass right now and <laughs> I use the rest of this beard to frame my face or else I just look like a thumbprint. So, yeah. There you go. Hey, if I turn sideways, I will no shave profile. a mustache in before the month is over. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm big talk until I have to put the fucking mask back on at work. And mustaches and masks are a nightmare. So you can have a mustache for facial hair. That's your yeah. one thing you can I can have. have any, it just, I have to be able to seal on the side. So I can have a mustache, you can have a goatee, any type, anything like that. But a little, t- little tickler right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I went for the chic. But it just, it, this is just what grows on my face. Like I don't even twist it, it just does it on its own. It's amazing. It's yeah. a good, it's a, it, honestly, it's a good look. It's really good. Yeah. You, I feel like you could be on the street hawking pickle baby merch. Here's the problem: is I, like I just every time I grow a mustache, I unintentionally just like look just like Charles Bronson. Like I have there's no control. Look at yeah. it's fucking Charles just Bronson. Fucking yeah. snorted whiskey onto my keyboard. <laughs> like it's like I'm either a pugilist or I'm fucking Charles Bronson. There's no way around it. But I'll be Tom Hardy playing Charles Bronson. That's better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. Yeah, (laughs) murder month. I mean, over the years of this podcast, we've dabbled here and there in a little true crime, sometimes supernatural, a little conspiracy related. Here and there. Here and there. But one thing always has to kind of, you know, be consistent is that 
it it has to you know have some sort of level of mystery or a paranormal element or a spooky element or alien element and so that's what we're going to do this this month we're going to focus on some you know some some more uh murder 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 um and this one the the billionaire murders that is of course we're talking and where this is a true north mystery absolutely canadian mystery true north true crime um this is all about you know the billionaires of barry and honey sherman of toronto they were the 12th toronto Richest people in Canada, which I think, you know, pretty low worldwide. <laughs> low worldwide, but high I mean, in Canada, top twelve. I mean, it's not as soon bad. You get to be a multi-billionaire. I mean, you have un, you have ungodly wealth. Boys, that's a whole lot of toonies. <laughs> oh yeah, fuck a ton of toonies. Like it's Scrooge McDuck himself, and he fell up <laughs> cool with that. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, so with these cases, there's always a little mystery, a little conspiracy interweaving. Interwoven, interweaven. Yeah, I think they both work. Yeah, yeah. both work. both works. But this one uh, from 2017, I remember we briefly touched on on a power hour back then. We're like, no, oh, this is fucking weird. Well, so weird. The reason we touched on it in a power hour, and those listening, I'll, I'll do a quick summary of the power hour back then. This quickly touched the news because of you know, not very often a pair of billionaires die, and then. It was um, the initial. I mean, it's Canada. It's not very often anybody dies. <laughs> yeah, right. And then like, uh, in the initial, the initial kind of reports that were getting into the news was that this was, you know, possibly murder suicide. And then we talked about it on a power hour because what felt like months after the case at the time, it came out that, you know what? Maybe that was the wrong. It was actually targeted double homicide. Right. And so that it turned into a, you know, the husband killed wife to into someone killed both of these billionaires. And since then, this has spiraled into a wild case of who done it. Five years later. Yeah, it's looking pretty wild. So, like all good cases, you gotta start at the beginning. So on the on the morning of Friday. December 15th and 2017, Barry Sherman, multi-billionaire, founder of big old Canadian pharmaceutical company, Apotex, also a well-known philanthropist, was discovered in his basement of his measly 12,000 square foot home just outside of Toronto in a seated position, legs outstretched, with the right leg crossed neatly over his left, his back to his basement in-ground pool. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Thank you, billionaire. You can have that at this time. Hey, come on, it's just a lap pool. Yes, Couple laps in the morning, no big deal. He was wearing his glasses. He was perched un his glasses were perched undisturbed on his nose. He had a kind of a had a bomber style jacket slightly pulled over his shoulder, his arms at his side, and beside him, his wife, Honey, in a similar position, wearing a light coat, pulled over over her shoulders, her hands at her sides, both dead. When paramedics arrived, they suggested the couple had been dead for at least a day, if not more. Rigor, lividity, and other signs of early decomposition were obvious. Oh, the crime scene is set. So the paramedics must have arrived, deduced that these bodies are at least a day, if not more. Yeah, and so like oddly enough too, um, they were actually found by the real estate agent. 
so I guess uh, Honey and uh, Barry had recently put their house up for sale. And this real estate agent tried contacting them for a couple days saying, hey, you know what? We have, we have some buyers in town. They really want to look at your house. Um, we want to do a showing. Got no answer. Didn't think anything of it. Probably assumed that they were out of town. And kind of, you know, like most houses that are for sale, there's a lockbox, right? So, you know, helped herself to the lockbox, let the people in. And when they got down to the pool house, this well, lady... Were, she was... Yeah, she was showing them around. Like they looked at the upstairs, like everything was a okay. They go down the spiral staircase. She's like, "Oh, you got, listen, you got to see the pool. The pool is the it's the piece de la resistance of this house." She walks hmm. down the you know the spiral stairs in the back uh, corner, and there's an adjacent underground garage there. You come in, you can come in through that way, and then there's a hallway down to the pool. And she notices there's some papers and stuff kind of scattered around. And she's like, oh, that's kind of weird. As she's looking at them, they're like real estate papers that she, that Barry was supposed to print off and sign and send to her. And she's like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. And there's some, like a briefcase. So she just kind of picked it up and like put it on the, on the desk. Didn't think anything of it. Right? Is, she's like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. We're going to get into it. This lady's a fucking pro. She handled like it this, well. She puts those selling sunset chicks to shame. Like, <laughs> get, yeah, someone include this girl on a reality show. Uh, literally. Like, so like Braden saying, she cleans up this, these documents and keeps going with the showing Gets to the pool, cracks the door, sees uh, Barry and, and Honey hanging from a you know a, from a railing in the pool. Quickly shuts the door and is like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, the owners of the home are actually doing yoga in there right now. They need privacy. I'll show you guys out. You guys have seen the bulk of the house and these these the couple that are looking the house from uh, wealthy people from mainland China are like super offended because she's like, "You need to get the fuck out of here." Like showing's yeah. over, anyways. Time to go. You know, like time to go. So she plays it super cool. Then, okay. So apparently, this entire time, the housekeeper is actually in the house. So she goes up to the housekeeper and is like, "Listen, you need to go downstairs right now and fucking check this shit out." So it's kind of fucked up that she forces this poor house cleaner to go down there yeah. and yeah. find the bodies. But one of the most bizarre things to me is immediately upon confirming that they're both deceased, obviously she calls nine one one, right? That'd be the first, you yeah, would think right? the first thought. Get the cops, get the paramedics, get the coroner down here. Wrong. She calls she call? Honey's sister. It's her sister. That's yeah. a strange one because, I mean, maybe they're friends. Maybe they knew each other, right? Maybe they were close. So it's, it maybe it's one of those things where it's like, it, it, you know, they're dead. You, you know, if you see that they're dead, they're dead, it's, I don't know. It's a weird one. I, you know what? You're hundred percent right though. Cause she actually, she was really close friends with honey's sister and that's why she got this gig. But I mean, like you would think that you're just lifelong in, intuition of when you see a dead body, but not nine one one. Well, and plus the, the other bizarre thing too, is it took her 90 minutes after discovering the bodies to call nine one one. And then the other what, thing that leads what, me to believe like, what did she do in that 90 minutes? She, called called uh honey's sister that type of shit got the people out finished the fuck hey listen she wants to make the sale <laughs> right so yeah. she's, she's a she's a consummate pro man you know could you imagine the commission on whatever the fuck that house is selling for 100 15 million dollar house what did you get three percent on the first hundred thousand and one and a half on the rest yeah, or something no like exactly. a lot of money but so that like that was kind of bizarre to me that you know she calls the family first before calling you know 
and 911 because the call did come in like, hey, look at there, there's people down here, they might be dead because the paramedics did arrive on scene with full intentions to work the patients. Like when you call 911 and you get a report like the described scene, that right away comes in being like, hey, listen, it's probably an obvious death. Well, and right? if you, and, and like, I did, mm. let's just point out really quickly too, when you, when I think everyone, when I pictured this, Andrew, when you pictured this, you picture them like hanging from a railing into a pool, like, well, some, like, like they're hanging. How so else like, would you hang just, somebody off of a railing into a pool? Like that doesn't have, make sense uh, otherwise. Obviously the pool is drained and they're dangling into the pool, right? Yeah, I have a, I have a picture of the pool here. I think I can pull up here. Yeah, so that's the pool railing right? That they were hanging off of. And then there's an artist's rendition of like how they were found. And it's like this. Which is not at all how anyone reading that description would see how, like picture them being hung in your head. Well, that's, well, a, that's why that's a, that's a handrail around a pool. So what it's three foot handrail. Yeah. Like they're not, in, yeah. they're not hanging into the pool. They're hanging on the fucking. They're on uh, the pool deck. On the deck. With their back, back to the pool. It, when you when you think like hanging, yeah, you would think like hanging into the pool, pool into yeah. the pool. The pool was empty or something, and or whatever. Like it just, yeah, it's suspicious. It just sitting there, bizarre. both of them, both of them seated like that. Super yeah, it's, bizarre. Uh, it doesn't make it, when you see it, you're like, well, that's suspicious. Well, and one of the big things that you hear from like the first responders, uh, the the real estate agent that found them, it just seemed. Like it seemed staged. It seemed odd. Like people described well, it as like some type of like Halloween theme, like just spooky looking, off-putting fucking, I don't know how they're describe. wearing their clothes, clothes of the day, kind of like their jackets thrown over their shoulders. No, there's well, there's no blood. There's nobody, no real no signs blood. of struggle. Like it's just, it kind of looks like Connie may have been hit in the face. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's a trauma on her face. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an interesting, it's super interesting that you bring that up. I don't want to jump around too much, Zell. I don't want to screw you up. But the, do you see, like, so Honey did have some trauma to the side of her face. But the interesting thing about this, she had abrasions, but there was no bruising around the, uh, the abrasions, right? Which leads you to believe that this was either like perimortem or postmortem uh, trauma, right? Because if, if she was alive, there would be swelling. There would be blood flow to that area. There was no swelling. Right. Yeah, your body naturally tries to get blood to that area if it gets hit or cut or right? well, and so. then and then just to there from one of the things I read and and you know this may be wrong but like it had looked like their jackets like you know when you kind of you can like almost handcuff yourself by pulling off your jacket and then leaving it on right like if you leave it on your hands and then pull it down to your waist you can kind of sit like fucking it, time i take my kid's jacket off it's a fucking <laughs> yeah. strap with that it's awful <laughs> so that's how their jackets were both of their jackets almost like their jackets were like you they know pulled them down. by their jacket yeah or something yeah, yeah. exactly right so not saying that know, i dragged my kid by his jacket or anybody yeah you know. no, never <laughs> but i mean like they were you know, it's Barry was totally fine. No, no issues with his face. And they were at the time of their death, 75, uh, Barry was 75 and honey was 70. Right. Yeah, so, they're, they're elderly people from all accounts. They are not super athletic. They didn't really keep themselves in good shape. Um, I mean, and, but they yeah, must so, have been taking the most like premium grade generic pharmaceuticals. 
to be in. Yeah. They had premium balls. grade, generic. <laughs> uh, they had Vicodin. They had all the good yeah. stuff. So yeah. they, they had a whole PC supply brand. at their fingertips. Yeah, they're yeah. good. <laughs> so where does that leave us out? Like, so we have the, the paramedics arrived, called it on scene. They're both DOA. And then, so yep. let's like maybe let's get into the the Toronto Police Services investigation. Well, yeah. Originally, the deaths are treated as suspicious. Obviously, you would think by the Toronto Police Abs- Service Homicide Squad. What three feet? <laughs> so yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, like, <laughs> both of them. Yeah, it's not like, like uh, two people seemingly hung by kneeling or sitting. <laughs> suspicious to say the least. Yeah. Uh, so they originally said cause of. Both deaths were ligature neck compression, which I guess is just another term for strangulation. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then something else to, to add to that is super weird is both their hyoid, hyoid bones were intact. And that's that U-shaped little bone, right? Yeah, that's normally that, fractured when norm, there's... So usually when someone when someone is strangled or choked really hard, that fractures. And if you usually try and hang yourself... Some, a lot of times it doesn't. No. So they say if, if it's broken, it's murder. If it's not, it's suicide. Usually, yes. As as like a generic term, that's kind of what What they, was Epstein? His hyoid bone was yeah. fractured. <laughs> he was broken. Yeah, his yeah. was broken into a billion pieces. By, by, so, by, so by Zell standards, murder. <laughs> he he was murdered. First. It was murdered. It was murdered. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's so that that leads them. It's suspicious. Both they're they're strangled, but their bones are that bone is not broken. So the Toronto Police Service told the media, told the news, the old good old CBC, CTV, and Global, that there's no signs of any force entry. So they did not include a search for suspects right away well, because no signs of force entry. Just and which I get, but for me when I read that I was like. As every, especially in Canada, especially if you're in a nice neighborhood, do you lock all your doors all the time? All the time? Not to mention, I don't, like, listen, okay, I understand that too. You don't necessarily have to lock all your doors all the time. There's literally a fucking key to your house hanging on the front door that a lot of people yeah. have a code to. Yeah, like one of those little lock boxes. Box. For, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, well, and... And, you know, there was a lot of people coming and going because they were selling their house. They were doing it. They were in the midst of some renos, uh, right? We're going to get into it further down the road, but there, you know, a room was just painted. A window may or may not have been left open for that room to dry. Definitely uh, left open. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's the, right. The, Tor- the interesting thing is, though, the Toronto police, like, you know, they're not really looking at, um, they're not really looking at suspects. They're, they're, actually looking at the Shermans for this. This is a, like a domestic dispute gone bad. They could rule it a potential murder-suicide. They leak that to the press. They leak that to the press. This is a potential murder. The leading, our leading theory right now is that this is a domestic dispute that, uh, you know, turns into a, uh, a murder-suicide. And they actually start questioning Barry's associates and family, not about like, did he have any enemies? Do, you know, was there anyone that was upset with him? They start asking, did he potentially have any illnesses that he may have been terminal and he was going to kill himself? For killed his right? wife, took her with him. Like, what the fuck? Well, well, and another reason, another re- reason they thought that is because, well, she had that face trauma. So they kind of just and deduced, he like, did, oh, I, I mean, guess. He, so he didn't. So he struck his wife. Maybe she fell. 
or whatever he whatever it is. That's what they came up with that right away. Like yeah, murder. Like that's their initial thought. And everyone knows. Everyone's seen the show. Listen to all the true crime podcasts. The first forty eight. Yeah. You know, if there's a potential suspect, and you got forty eight hours to. And what does what happens after forty eight? The chances goes go cold. down like drastically. Yeah, drastically down. And I just want to say that the Toronto police chased the murder suicide theory as their leading theory without looking at other theories for five to seven weeks. Five yeah. to seven weeks. They looked at this. Well, didn't even like, give a fathom to another anything else. They didn't fingerprint any of the fucking people who frequent the house or any of the close, like family, friends, relatives, anything like that. Um, they didn't do any interviews with friends, family, anything like that. They didn't check for fucking security cameras at his business where they were both seen together prior to the fucking... To Dude. the death. And they didn't check the fucking... The neighbor said, hey, I have some suspicious shit on a fucking camera. And we'll I'll get into that a little bit later about the the significant information from that. And said, "Hey, look, I have this, and it's going to be deleted in seven days. You guys need to look at it." And they didn't look at anything for over a month. And they didn't. I mean, this is a house undergoing renovations to be sold, so painting and touch ups and little finishes. As far as I know, no, none of the workers were contacted right away. <laughs> it was nothing. just like they nothing. they they literally tunnel vision and were like, mm, "Hey." No force breaking, nothing was stolen. This I'll case solved itself. Another one in the books, boys. You've done it again, Magoo. But listen, <laughs> boys, I will say one thing, and I think this might be a contributing factor, oddly enough, because when I was looking into this, right around the exact same time, they had actually just busted Bruce MacArthur. And do you guys remember who Bruce MacArthur was? Yeah, he was the military guy that killed those 17 people. Yeah, he, oh, one of shit. Canada's most prolific serial killers. Oh, the one in Nova, Co Nova no, Scotia? No, it's in Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. It was in Toronto. burying them I, in planners. Yeah, so basically this Bruce oh. MacArthur, like by all means, this guy's in his 60s or whatever, right? So kind of unassuming. Ex-military guy. Um, he was predatory towards the gay community, went after a lot of like closeted gay men, would meet them online and murder them and buried them in some poor lady's fucking yard. And her, and her yeah. planters. He was doing like landscaping work at this lady's oh, house. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. And this is oh, shit. This is literally like one. This is he's he might be one of Canada's biggest serial killers. I'm pretty sure. If I, I'd have to yeah. look into it, but Pickens, had, I think number one. They had just busted him. Right. So that was going on at the exact same time. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe that was drawing a lot of their attention. And so unfortunately, Too many resources Barry and Honey kind of you know dropped a little bit further down the priority. List, which but, is no, there's I'm, no excuse for that. None. No, but so with this, like, you know, this, you know, you know, basically leaking that the Shermans had, it was a murder suicide by Barry. Potentially that's what they're looking to. What did the family think? The family went fucking nuts. They went nuts. As you would, you would, I mean, your loved ones are dead. You would, you're trying to do anything you can to try and solve the case, to try and get to the bottom of it. And you're not happy with the answers that the police are giving you. Like, I, There's no way it's a murder-suicide. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. I, you know what? And it's probably perfectly normal to be in denial in these situations. But with this, with this case, like, it's exceptionally ridiculous to think that this was a murder-suicide. 100%. So in response, the friends and family noted that, it, I mean, this is a mansion. So it has nine entrances and burying honey. I mean, they're knowing they're known for helping in the community. They, the families told the police 
they would probably let anyone in at any time of day if they needed help. Like they would even think about it. Oh yeah. The girls, so a, girl scouts are still there, buddy. They came in and delivered right. cookies fucking two years ago. They moved in. Oh yeah. The complete mint. strangers, anything. They would try and help anyone out. I mean, they would probably, they had so much money. They would probably like, buy them groceries, get them in cash. Like they would do anything to help people. It's like, they've been, it's been documented for their whole life. There's some shadier stuff we'll get to in the future, but they do, they have helped a lot of people, right? They definitely have. So the family gets a little fucking, a little up on the police about it. Well, they're, they're, they start coming out consistently saying like, hey, listen, there's not a fucking chance, right? There's our, you know, this is, they wouldn't do this. This is, this wouldn't happen. They wouldn't do this. You guys got to look at another avenue. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense for our parents. This doesn't make sense for uncle, whatever. Whoever the, basically the family consensus was, was this is a load of shit. There's no goddamn way that Hunt, like Barry would have killed Honey, let alone kill himself after. Right. And then they even contact Brian. What's his name? Brian Greenspan. He's like one of the most famous like, Canadian lawyers. Defense, Canadian lawyers of all time. Yeah. Canadian lawyer, respected and prominent defense lawyers like in history of like of Canada. Like he's and, he's the top dog. And this is and it's an interesting lawyers. one because they're getting a defense lawyer to try to help point this you know investigation in the direction of having someone convicted. Absolutely. Like they basically got the Canadian Perry Mason. Yeah, the Matlock, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they got they got him, but they also got him to help them hire a private investigator because they're like, the, if the police don't have the time or they're not looking to help us with this case, we're going to do it. We have the money; we can yeah. do it on our own. Well, they they unlimited resources. They have the money, right? So they hired David. Was it? Is it Chazon? Uh, Chazon. Yeah, Chazon. He's a retired forensic pathologist for Ontario. He's like a government. He's an ex like. He's one of the best of this field as well. And he's one of the best of the best second, of the best, sir. He's the best of the best of the best, 100%. And they, he conduct, conducted a second autopsy and established that the couple indeed had been murdered. Yeah, so like we start with <laughs> the uh, high bo- high bones were still intact. He ended up finding out that there was skin missing from both Barry and Honey's wrists. Which, like they've been bound. Which they'd means they were bound, most likely with those, zip ties. And it was removed. Right. And one of the most substantial things that he found is that the two belts, the two men's leather belts that they were hung from, were not used to strangle them. It was a different device. It was different. They were strangled in some other way. The two belts were not used to strangle them. And you know what the fucking, you know what the the width of the industry or the width of the injury didn't match like the size of the belt or something? That's a good question. That's just all I know is that I'm I'm imagining that's, he's like, this is a fucking one inch strangulation and that's a three inch belt or something like it, he's like this pretty much called the first autopsy a, a slop job absolutely so you guys what, what, are you, what are you doing here <laughs> the private investigators that were hired they were they you know they just walked into the crime scene they just basically were like are you, are you guys looking at this look at it i you, mean you see this if you if you look at the crime scene so where they were laid out on this three-foot railing there was some drag marks right leading which means that floor can be marked. That's a, you know, that's a pretty interesting fact that there was drag marks, you know, a little ways away from them that shows this floor can be marked. And they said, isn't it peculiar that if you were hanging yourself, you wouldn't struggle even in the slightest when you were suffocating. You wouldn't kick your legs, scuff the floor, nothing. You just would sit there until you died. 
not a chance. But nobody, it, it, nobody, like your body just would naturally react. You have the, everybody has that regret once it, but once you initiate, like it's there's it's it's just just a defense mechanism, right? Unless they no ma- unless no they heavily and left unless they heavily sedated themselves. Yeah, prior to right? right, which would be hard to fucking hang yourself after being sedated. So, the, so this type of tile floor, they must have been walking. They probably scuffed their shoes. And be like, oh look, I made eighteen marks just without trying, right? Because there is some of those tile floors, like some gyms and stuff. Depending on your sh- on the soles of your shoes, you can just like go a little squeak, and they're like, oh, there's a there's yeah, a scuff there's mark. a scuff there's a scuff there's a scuff. Now it's it's one of those things where it's you know. All this stuff is very quickly when the private investigators and and they get the second off stuff he's done. They're just like, were, were you guys even looking? Were you guys even looking? Did you check? Did you look at anything possibly else other than this? And the Toronto police were like, well, that's funny you say that. Uh, we thought it was a you know a double homicide, a targeted homicide the whole time. Well, and if they would have even bothered to fucking interview the family members, they would have known that they never went into this pool area to begin with, honey. She had bad knees. She couldn't do the fucking stairs, right? She refused to use the bath to use that area down there. Plus, there was that fucking spare bathroom where they found her cell phone in it, which they never used. And Honey, Honey refused to park in the underground parking lot because she would have to walk up the stairs. Up the stairs, right? Yeah. So she would park on the top level, so she didn't have to go anywhere, right? So everybody's like, "This doesn't make fucking sense." And finally, their 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 feelings are being vindicated by these private investors being like, "Yeah, this is a fucking sham. Like, it's a fucking. Yeah, what mean, are those Keystone cops? Like, who's doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Keystone Light. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the honey, honey in the basement. She never. I thought about it. She never uses it, but I think she could if she had to. She could get up the stairs. She's chose. She's like, I don't. My knees hurt. Well, I don't if do you're it. Being forced so to. I mean, you're going to do this. I'm just saying that the the fact that she never used it doesn't mean she had never been down there. Now, just to the the note, what Andrew said is the bathroom upstairs where Honey's phone was found uh, was the closest bathroom to the entrance she would have entered. So private investigators, you know, were thinking that maybe when she came home, because she would have arrived home just before Barry, that... Perhaps she saw someone in the house and made a beeline for that bathroom to try to call for help. Right. Because oddly enough, I mean, they don't have any record on her cell phone of her calling 911, but the day of the the day that they suppose that this happened, the day they were last seen, well, there was a drop 911 call made from the area. And they couldn't find out where it came from. They went to the address where the call came from, knocked on the door, and the people who lived in the same areas were like, we didn't call 911. What are you talking about? Mm. Right? So they think it might have been pinged in the wrong area. Bad ping? Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking wild, man. Right? So pretty much to sum it up what's happened so far, on December 15th, 2017, their bodies are found. 2016, or December 16th, the autopsy is performed, the first one. They determine it's a ligature neck compression, uh, probable murder-suicide. December 21st is the funeral. The family gets mad to hire a private investigator. They do a second autopsy on the 23rd. Uh, The private investigator comes and inspects the house on the 28th. And it wasn't until, what was it? 
January 26th is when the police finally come and say, yeah, it was a double homicide. So it's like, how was that 60 days later? <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you what, the fucking, the, the Canadian version of the first 48 sucks. Yeah, everybody's getting away. Day. First sixty yeah. days. Yeah, hey, we got sixty yeah. days. We'll try our best. Yeah. You know, yeah. first three sixty-five in Canada. Yeah. Fucking brutal. It's right, but like if like any hot leads, anything is now cold. Like you are, you are now You're looking at a at a. It's not just because of the weather, boys. It's no, fucking it, cold because they like blew it's, it. It's, yeah, absolutely blew it. And you know, it's funny because like when you. When you look up this case, you really have to dig to find out how bad the Toronto Police Service dropped the ball because, like, most things have been scrubbed where they're like, all the reports now are like, yeah, there is a targeted double homicide. Like, yeah, we we have a pretty good idea what we think was, has happened. Still to this day, not, no suspects announced. Uh, still to this day, no arrests, no charges. The best, the best evidence that they have is that they have a unknown person that was captured on a security video near the Sherman's multi-million dollar house in North York. Um, they say at the same time frame as the murder took place, they have somebody entering and exiting the front door of the house three times on December 14th. And that's between 9 and 10 a.m. And that's that's new information. At the time, they had, because the police didn't do their diligence and go collect footage, they had no security footage at all. Yeah. And that's, but that's all we have. We have, they estimate the height of this person. This is not even a person of interest. It's a suspect between like five foot six and five foot nine. And that's it. They can't tell male or female skin color, nothing hair color. Cause it's dark. And that's all. So that's all we have. Just well, like I mean, I look, I'll, quickly, I'll share the picture of uh, the suspect uh, in this case. Where is he? This one here. Uh, you see this? I mean, could you get any more nondescript than that? Might as well be a fucking Peter Pan shadow perform the murder. The right? only like, identifying feature right, of this Bigfoot. person said, yeah, they, the only identifying feature was he had a, he walked with a weird gait, like a slight, like skip or like a weird leg swing. You like, can see it right there the way he's walking. Like look how far he's leaned back while he's yeah. stepping. Yeah, so that's the only ident identifying feature is that weird walking gait. And that's it. That's the only suspect they really have any type of evidence of it's just one security video so yeah it's uh it's quite wild now but there's uh we're, we're gonna we, my beer's empties but so we're gonna get to some more history of barry sherman but i got a refill you need yeah, a refill yeah let's get a refill but let's yeah and then we'll get into who the shermans were all right grab a beer we'll be right back we're back now before we can get into you know we want to get into like how did this happen who could have possibly done it but i think to really get a grasp of who these suspects are we got to look at who barry and honey were absolutely who were they? why do we care yeah, why do we who, care who that these they people and were why they double murdered billionaires. i mean there's a lot of double murders all the time no one cares about them why do we care about these people so, let's start with Barry. Now, he's, he's from a Jewish family in Toronto, born in 1942. His father had a business for, he's a business partner for a zipper company who died from a heart attack when he was only 10. Uh, he lost his father at such a young age. This is, I got to start that again. This is fucking written weird, sorry. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> to 
just missed a couple words. All right, we're going to start with the history of Barry Sherman. He's from a Jewish family in Toronto, born in 42. His father died from a heart attack when he was only 10. So, I mean, he lost his father, father figure, so he, he focused, focused on schooling, focused on getting real smart. Real fucking like smart. fucking wicked yeah. smart. Like wicked smart. Wicked smart. Yeah. We, he, he, and in fact, he was wicked smart. <laughs> you know what? He was. He focused on math. He won national physics contests. Um, he, where he, he attended the Forest Hill Collegiate Institute, graduated with top marks in 58. He went to uh, University of Toronto, U of T. Uh, he graduated the en- engineering science program. He's pretty much going to be an astronaut at this point. Like he's taking astrophysics. He's he's really, he's at the top of the of the food chain as far as, far as academics. Uh, in summers, he worked for his uncle Lewis Lloyd Winter at Empire Laboratories. At the time, it was Canada's largest wholly owned pharmaceutical company. Right. So early on, he got a taste of big pharma. Yeah, and and basically, was, well, well, actually, kind of little pharma. Big, Little, little pharma. pharma. Little yeah. pharma. Little pharma. What pharma. Empire Labs was basically, you know, this was the, you know, the proving grounds for Barry Sherman because he learned the ropes of generic drugs because that's what his uncle did at Empire Labs is he would, you know, he did on a small scale what Barry would eventually turn into his whole career. Yeah, and it's, right? you know, and it's cool too because it's kind of like a rags to riches story because he started at the bottom. Like his job yeah. was, he basically, his job at this test was basically delivering pregnancy tests, right? Like he wasn't even allowed in the lab at the beginning. He had to work his way up in this company as well. Well, yeah, his uncle made him earn the pedigree. So he ended up going to MIT, right? And graduated a PhD in astrophysics in 67. So he's legit going to be like an astronaut. He's astrophysicist. He is a super smart guy. I mean, this is graduating at 67. You're right. The peak of the space race too. Like he could have easily went in to you know work on the space program of some, in some fashion. Yeah. hundred percent. And you, you know, it's so now his uncle, you know, having his nephew, Barry lost his, you know, lost his dad. He takes him under the wing. Like he's showing him the ropes. He, he kind of like teaches him, everything he knows about the business and how to run it until his untimely death in November 1965. At the age of 41. Young. At the age of 41. All right. This guy died of an aneurysm. And you want to make things even a little bit more fucking weird? Well, yeah. His wife, at the time of his death, was actually terminally ill with leukemia and ended up dying 17 days later. So within so the span of, of 17 days, Empire Labs loses its, you know, basically its founder and then- Owner-operator. You know, owner-operator yeah. and then the, like, the person who would inherit the company, uh, leaving the company in disarray. Yeah, like it was left to the, to, I guess you would say, the executor. And, you know, make things even sadder, they left behind some orphans. Four young kids. Four young boys that were orphaned, lost their parents. Like, your dad, could you imagine losing both your parents within a 17-day span? And, like, they, we're one, talking yeah. kids as young. I think the ages were, like, three, four, five, and seven. Young. Like, really yeah, like kids, young. kids. An absolute Children. tragedy. But, you know, through this tragedy, and not right away, mind you, but Barry, you know, 
use this to basically it, and not right away. It took a while for the dust to settle yeah. on all, all this stuff to, you know, all the legal framework of the both of them passing uh, so quickly, you know, not having thing a succession plan uh, set up or anything like that. But Barry actually goes on to purchase Empire Labs two years later. Yeah. After he got his PhD, he came back, saw that the company was kind of being ran in a fashion that his uncle probably wouldn't have approved. You know, things maybe have gone to disarray. And he right away stepped in and be like, this isn't right. I can do this better. This is not what my uncle would have wanted. And he stepped in with a business partner that he met at a, uh, MIT and they purchased Empire Labs. Empire Labs. And yeah, in his words, he pretty much said, if he didn't purchase at that time, in his opinion, the company would have been worth nothing and it would have been dissolved and it would have been toast. It was being run to the ground in his opinion. So he's like, I got, I want, I want to buy it. I have a, I have a partner. So he buys Empire, <laughs> Empire Labs. What a great name too, Empire Labs. Unreal real name. So he runs Empire Labs for a bit. He ends up selling it, right? He does, yeah. He sells it, and that, but then with he the turns money, it, he starts. He turns it into like a multi-million dollar company by the time he sells it, though. Like yeah, the profits. He, he turns it into turns a it lean, around. mean machine. Yeah, and then he gets offered $2 million for the company, which he does in turn take and sells. Yeah, for a small company, great deal. So he takes it, and in, the, in turn, he starts Apotex not long after. Yeah, like, and, and now, I mean, like... Go ahead, Brent. Well, and now, like, with... So basically, you know, when you look at this, like... Uh, he's 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 taken control of, of Empire, right? He had a partner, he had executives, he had you know he had other people involved in this, and by selling this company, now he starts his own. Where it's now he is basically uh, he is the grand Pumba, right? Like he is in charge, he controls every aspect of this company, and this company grows to be Canada's largest domestic pharmaceutical manufacturer. They were the first. They were the first company to secure the. Uh, compulsory rights to manufacture diazepam. What is diazepam again? Like Valium. Oh, so is, is Valium, Valium is not an opioid though, right? No, it's not. It's a benzo. Like a, it makes you it's sleep. Benzo. Benzo. Yeah. That, um, and not only that, like they got, uh, I'm pretty sure he had exclusive rights like doxycycline as well, which is like an antibiotic that's massively prescribed and has been for like since having. Like that's, that's fucking major, boys. Like that's, like that's partnering, I think Dr. Sightly, like he partnered with Pfizer. Yeah. Right? right? So this guy as a, it's not a, is it private at this point? It's a small, it's a small company. It's a, it's a privately owned company. So it probably and, has some shareholders, but he owns, he owns most of it. And he's comp directly competing with Big Pharma. Big Pharma's coming into Canada, setting up shop, and he goes to he he loves going to war with these guys. Oh, dude, with through Apotex, like you watch some of the interviews with him, he's basically calling like these big pharma companies scum suckers coming in here, didn't and like just absolute scum, flea ridden, you know, making making profits off the back of sick people, charging these patients exorbitant amount for name brand medication. And he, he's basically calling them crooks, liars, thieves, you know, scum of the earth. So he and Apotex are making generic brands, you know, for, to, for a fraction of the price. For a fraction of the price. So that, you know, he, he his big thing is like, people shouldn't be impoverished, impoverished, uh, you know, to, for to treat yeah. their ailments. 
Right? He That's basically not what Canada's he's, about. He's basically self-proclaimed himself as the Robin Hood of, of pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Of big pharma. Yeah. He's like that's he's stealing. He's pretty much he's his in his mind, he's stealing from big pharma, like stealing the business and passing the savings on to the Canadian population. And yeah. like and he's not scared because everybody that no. steps to him, he's he's tying them up in litigation and going to court and winning. He there at one he point loses, in time wins he, some, loses some. He was voted the most litigious man in Canada. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, like right? he, like he, he, he didn't thrived. Give a fuck. No. He thrived on uh, going to war with Big Pharma. There's interviews with him you can watch on uh, Fifth Estate and stuff where it's in his office and his office, it looks like it's been ransacked, but that's how he was organized. And everywhere you look, there's stacks of paper and he goes, each one of those is a different litigation. Legal I'm binders everywhere. He goes, every single one of these is a current litigation that I'm... And he... It's not like he had lawyers, but he also went through all this shit himself. The guy was a workaholic. He never stopped. He people said he was awkward to talk to. He was hard to talk to because all he did was work. And you know, and he he to be honest, you don't get you don't get to be the twelfth richest person in Canada if you're if you're you know not doing something like that. But he was also like you know a, a giver, right? Like he he helped out lots. He his charitable. You know, donations and stuff were you know, crazy. They were of note. And you don't have to look far to see, like, see what he gave back. I mean, he may, at this point, he's taken the company. He's, you know, from a couple million dollar company to 10 to 100 to 500 to a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company. And he's giving back. He's giving 500 million to the United Jewish Appeal. He, he gave, I think he got a minus funds. zero off that. Or 50 million, sorry, yeah, 50, yeah you're right. It's all good. 50 million to the United Jewish, Jewish Appeal. He provided funds to build a major addition that's just to the, the conversion. Press. That's just the conversion from Amer a Canadian to American. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. If you're wondering, it's not a big deal. It's a little bit of money, but not yeah. a lot. Uh, he, he gives funds to build a major addition to the Baycrest Health Science Geriatric Center and to other community centers around the Toronto area. He's a major donor to the United Way. He starts the Apotex Foundation and donated another $50 million to medicines to like world disasters. Like literally every single time there was like a huge natural disaster, you know, anywhere in the world, Apotex would ship out millions of dollars worth of generic brand, no name brand uh, prescription drugs to help. Right? A every single time. Without yeah, fault. Every yeah, by like 2007, he has so much expendable income that he doesn't mind, in the public eye at least, just shipping off millions and millions of dollars of drugs and helping people. And it, but he doesn't even stop there. Like at this point, he has there's thousands and thousands of employees, right? And he hears of employees in financial struggle. He has he doesn't even he helps them out if they have loans. He bails them out. There's multiple accounts of that. He. What does he do? He supports like orphan cousins and well, yeah, right. Like, like we've talked with, about, we've talked about the winter kids, right? They had the four yep. orphan winter kids. Yeah, he, he helps them out with financial endeavors and business. He he floats all their business endeavors. He's like helps them listen, with houses, personal loans. Okay, okay, so I looked into this a little bit. So we're gonna get into one of the more famous cousins of his in a bit. This cousin, one of the brothers, I think there's Carrie and there's. And, and there's, oh shit, I can't remember his first name. One of the cousins, anyways, he's actually since been deceased. This cousin, addicted to crack, 
like not living a good life, a, you know, unfortunate life as somebody who lost their parents young. There's a lot of trauma there. He probably looked mm-hmm. at different ways to deal with that trauma, got into drugs. He ends up, he ends up getting uh, accused of murder and goes to trial and Barry puts up a, a fucking uh, 100000 to bail him out, pays all no his legal deal. expenses, gives him a job, gives him a house. And then unfortunately, this cousin ends up overdosing and dying, like, you know, within weeks after of getting, like, Barry posted his bail. But- I, I, I think before the time of his death, he had, you know, between loans and purchases, had given something in the excess of $15 million to those cousins. The four cousins. The family, yeah. Yeah. The four cousins, right? Yeah. So it's like he 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 looked after his family. This was a family man, right? I mean, like he was... He, yeah, he does guy, look after family. There's no... there's right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they got the family, blood family. Yeah. right? They, you know, the guy, he, he's got a heart of gold, right? Blood like, stick how, in the water. Who, who would want to hurt this man? Right? Unless right. he was an absolute piece of shit. Was he a philanthropist or a shyster? Right? Well, just a great businessman. Yeah. You be the judge. Let's get into it. Let's get into the let's get into the shadiness here, boys. Cause after his death. I mean, usually when someone dies, like a lot of stuff comes tumbling out. So after his death, through as many companies he controlled, he made large donations to several of the foundations he had set up in the Apotex name. And under Canadian tax law, pretty much what you can put into those companies as charitable donations, you can get back in tax credits. So it really just wipes it clean. Like yeah, it's, a, it's, it's like a, you're you're not doing jack or shit, you're, you're, <laughs> right? You're not because then giving. you can because lo- you can loan back out against that company because they made this donation. So it looks good on paper, but in the end, did it really do much? Yeah, it's it's more beneficial for you. Literally, everything that this guy does is fucking calculated. Hundred percent. He, he's playing four D chess. And people, you don't see it. You just see these big, oh, wow, he's donating this and he's doing this. Well, everything this guy does, he has ulterior motives. Everything. Right? Everything. He he donates millions of dollars, which writes off that tax off his corporations he owns. And then he like borrows back from his own businesses as like a piggy bank. It's, it's, it's genius. It's yeah. fucking, genius. It's shady, so but it's genius. He, yeah, he loans himself back the money that he's... So he's just... There's three parts. He's, rolled, he's, he's written it off. He's donated. He's written it off, got a tax credit, and then he takes the money that's been donated and he loans it back to himself. And it's totally legal. Totally well, it's legal. Because it's his corporations. Yeah. That's where the, that's where the law gets so wild because the corporations... But that's it, right? Hey, boys, boys, that's it. He doesn't do anything else shady, right? No, no, well, at a, at a single no, time, at he had almost racked a total like loan amount of in excess of six million dollars, which, by all accounts, by CRA and everything, is like they're like that's insane to do this. Yeah. That's a lot. Not not that's illegal, a just a little questionable. Just not many people have the funds to be able to loan that much back to themselves after donating millions of dollars. I guess uh, few and far between. Right, so those those you instantly start to question these charitable donations because he was he was using them for his own means. But if, right? like, so listen, if if you but like honestly, so we get that. But if you let's say you ask, let's let's ask professionals that are in the same industry with them or like intellectuals working in universities, they would have nothing but good things to say about this, you know, upstanding pillar of society. Philanthropist, they fucking hated right? Him. They fucking hated him, despised him. Right? 
It's quoted as him being called a deplorable human being by Amir Adaran, who is, uh, he's, he's pretty much practices law at the University of Ottawa. And he claims, I couldn't verify this because I've never really used generic drugs. I never have, not yet at least. But he claims that Canadians actually pay but it's some of the highest prices, highest prices in the world for generic drugs. And he is just gouging Canadians actually. Well, he had a, a monopoly on the generic drug system, right? So he was just using it to enrich himself. And meanwhile, he's going like, Wait, these big guys are hurting Canadians and I'm here for them. And meanwhile, he's fucking in the other hand, just gouging on Canadians, sick Canadians who are looking for cheap generic drugs that they probably could have got cheaper elsewhere. Well, yeah, because I mean, so he, his drugs were cheaper, but he was making much more of a profit per pill than Big Pharma was making. So yes. Big Pharma, let's, let's, say, let's say Big Pharma selling a pill for 10 bucks. It costs him, I don't know, let's say $7 or whatever to create it. He's selling it for eight, but it costs him three. Yeah. So well, and, yeah, you're getting, you're getting a deal, but he's also making a fortune. His well, profit then, margins are way more than Big way Pharma. Way better. Well, and also think about the fact that Big Pharma, think about the money that Big Pharma sets into like research and development and shit like that. And then Buddy's yeah. just fucking ripping off the recipe and fucking reselling it. Yeah, all those, right? like, like a lot of these legal battles were from these drug companies basically accusing him. They're like, you're stealing our patents, right? At, at one time, there's a fucking wild story of one of Barry Sherman's top executives with Apotex was actually sleeping with a high-ranking member of Bayer Bayer, and they were having an affair. <laughs> like Bayer aspirin and all that type of shit, right? Like yeah. big time, big pharma, big pharma, big wig, and, big yeah. pharma. And somehow through this affair, the employee for Barry Sherman ended up with fifteen hundred uh, pages of documents with patents and like basically their secret sauce. He got the Colonel's recipes, babies. Like Absolutely. if you're telling me that was a plant, that guy did that to get those for Barry, right? He's prostituting for patents, bud. Right. And then, yeah. and then like Bayer and Bayer, they have no choice, but to then they, like something shady's happened. He's got the, you know, he's got the, the 12 herbs and spices. And, and now their, their only option is to, you know, Sue Barry to try to prove that. Right. That he's they, great he, at legal and, battles. Yeah. He's winning. And he's imagine how infuriating that would be. Dude, at one time he had a hundred legal battles going on at one time. Oh, hundred. No, no, no. At the time of his death, he had upwards of 1200 open. 1200. Yeah. Jesus, how do you? I came. That's insane. Well, we're gonna get into why he's getting it's he's crazy. suing and why he's getting sued because Barry maybe just didn't always just practice and you know what he didn't have all his money in in fucking the pharmaceutical business, did he? No, it's uh. It, well, one thing you know before before we move on to That's that, I re- fucking giggling here. I can't help it. I really <laughs> want to just quickly say that like he he also kind of. You know, he, he, by all accounts, was like, hey, listen, Big Pharma fucking hates me. They hate me. They hate what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's like, you know, why why don't they just hire someone to kill me? He's like, they could get bucks. someone to knock me off. Thousand bucks. He's like, in the hands of the right person, I'm sure they could have me killed. Fucking and he, thousand he, he, bucks, he said, bingo, he said, bango, bongo, body he said they have They have private investigators uh, basically tailing him at all times. 
tailing right? him and tailing his employees. They sit in the parking lot and they watch and they're they're all the time. And rightfully so. I mean, if you start stealing trade secrets and and profiting, it's it's alleged that at one time, and this is obviously denied wholeheartedly by Bear Bear, but there is an alleged scheme because he had fucking pissed off um, top executives at Bear Bear that they were trying to plant uh, either child pornography on one of a laptop and put it in his office and then call the authorities or... Or the nose beers. Or, yeah, put an unseen amount of drugs in his car and then call the authorities when he was yeah, driving. Cocaine. Right? Yeah, that, these, these were alleged plot because they were just like, well, he's he's doing underhanded tactics against us, so we're going to fight fire with fire here, right? Like, And, you know, obviously everyone wholeheartedly, oh, we would never do that for an upstanding company. Uh, for sure. We would, we would certainly not plant kitty porn or cocaine, and we definitely wouldn't have anybody fucking murdered. Well, and that's no, the thing is like, not. as we started talking here, you're talking about these big pharma and generic, all of a sudden we start like what you start hearing now, you're like, sounds a lot like organized crime. Sounds like kind of like, you know, mob ties. You're like, what the fuck is going on here? And then when you dive deeper into bear, you're like, yeah, this guy's got more shady businesses going on. Oh, got yeah. more fucking shady well, he wasn't just He wasn't just dealing with pharmaceuticals, right? That was his main moneymaker, but that's not all he did. That's not all he did. He also put money into yacht chartering, a yacht chartering company, which turned out to be a shell corp, right? So, I mean, you, all, you always hear of shell corps, like, oh, they yeah. make this corp to do this, X, Y, and Z. They don't actually do that, right? Yeah, kind of like don't Big Theory. do that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Big Theory. We don't make any fucking podcasts. You're, all, you're being duped. Yeah. being duped by Big Theory. Yeah. So he turns out this uh, yacht chartering company but he never bought any yachts, right? Yeah. Little so what were they doing? Did you think just like laundering money or what? Oh yeah, maybe he like bought a you know majority stake in a company that sold a nutritional supplement that was you know owned by American fraudster Kevin Trudeau. Is there any oh. relation there? No, no relation. No, no. I mean, people bad. would jump on it, but no relation. Probably just but yeah, shady, but. Yeah, like he was obviously using the Shell Corporation to either hide funds overseas, you know, move money without knowing. And yeah, and like he, he, <laughs> Kevin Trudeau went to jail. Um, convicted for, fraudster. Yeah, convicted fraudster. And he, you know, he, <laughs> it, it's wild that he, he was just rubbing shoulders with Barry Sherman. And Barry well, Sherman was- Sh Sherman owned shares in the company, which he sold then his shares to Apotex of- to pretty much shield himself. hide him. Yeah. Yeah, he shield himself from, from the possible yeah, investigation. Yeah, because his fucking dick pills didn't work out. He had to get out of there. Old Trevin, Kevin <laughs> Trudeau had to go to jail because they were selling fucking illegal dick pills, gas station ones, and blew up in their face. Yeah, and then he's hiding behind his company, being like, the company's the shield. Was like, I don't own them. The company owns them. Yeah, it looked legitimate to me. The company owns it. And yeah. uh, what are you, you going to do? Nothing. You can't touch me. The power of the corporation is fucking it's wild. really strong. It's wild. We've well, that's given why I'm glad we're incorporated. That's why we have big we're three productions, so we can get all the shady shit behind us. We pretty much <laughs> yeah. got diplomatic immunity. Yeah, that's yeah, how we, uh, this we big theory is our shield. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, and like, so not only was he, he, you know, he was doing some shady business, you know, obviously Kevin Trudeau, he learned his lessons. He wasn't going to hang out with any other like no, shady characters, I, right? I, I, yeah. No, no unsavory characters going forward, right? right. Learned his lesson until, <laughs> <laughs> until, 
until he partnered with someone called Frank D'Angelo. Oh, you mean the fucking, the fruit juice king of Canada. Yeah, fruit juice king. The guy, the wannabe Tony Soprano. Oh my Uh, God, this guy's just, he's ridiculous, man. I I read this, I couldn't, I don't know what it was. Cheetah power surge? What the fuck was that? Good question. They probably made a lot of money off that, right? Yeah. Steelback Brewery. Didn't know that either. Yeah, so they, Frank and Sherman, uh, you know, worked together to produce Cheetah Power Surge Energy Drink, and then they started a Steelback Brewery. Um, and then both of these D'Angelo brands went bankrupt in 2007. It's estimated that Sherman lost up to $100 million. Um, but that's not the only thing D'Angelo is into. Didn't stop there. D'Angelo, D'Angelo was, you know, he thought himself a regular George Clooney, and he wanted to star in his own films. And when I say that, you might think, oh, these might be adult films. They were not adult films. They were (laughs) films, in fact, no one should ever see or have to sit through. The worst kind of fucking movies you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, Uh, The Sicilian Vampire. (laughs) The Red Maple Leaf. The Joke Thief. If you pull up some clips, you can watch some clips of those. Hashtag look it up. I'm not going to... I cannot sit and watch anymore. It's like, it's, they rival the room. Yeah. It's bad. It's like, yeah, the Canadian room, the Canadian room. It's, it's some of the worst acting, the worst screenplays. And Barry was funding this, right? Uh, sure. Continuously. Like like he continued to fund this guy after all these ventures went fucking bankrupt. A hundred million dollars. And he's just still giving money to this guy. Uh, he even helped him after D'Angelo was arrested on sex assault and obstruction of justice charges, um, you know, that were later dropped. the diddler, like, come on. And, and he bankrolled, he, he helped him with legal fees as well in that. Uh, he financed all eight films D'Angelo made through 2013. Um, Academy Awards, zero. Grammys, what zero. Did, Oscars, zero. What did zero. Frank D'Angelo have on Barry Sherman? Right? Why the... It's Let's like, be honest what, here. What did he have? Why the fuck well, are you giving this guy... Like, you're just losing money hand over fist. And this guy's like... I He... he it doesn't take long to look at him, like to get him for an interview for this case. Like he was like, he, he was acting like he's some sort of mob boss. He's right? like, dude, he he's, he's basically impersonating Vito Corleone sitting at this fucking table being like, listen, I, I, I know what happened to Barry. Somebody made him an offer. He couldn't refuse. <laughs> and he refused. And he, that's word for word. He says that, like he quotes yeah. the Godfather and he's sitting there and he's in his suit and, you know, and he's got his, he's got the food in front of him and he's acting like he's all mafioso. Like, you're like, what the fuck? Like, it, it's pretty cringe, right? Like, it, it's pretty easy to see through this guy, but maybe he did actually have some connections, right? Like maybe this guy did have some mafia ties and Barry was indebted to him for some reason. Right. Well, it goes back to, you know, some of the shady dealings with, you know, getting some of these top executives. If they're hiring hiring private investigators, maybe, maybe Frank D'Angelo was like Barry Sherman's connection to, you know, like the kind of the criminal underworld, right? So it's like he was making these connections for him. And they were getting fucking generic brand gabagool, huh? Yeah. And then (laughs) and then he was he was like using that like, yeah, like, yeah, I'll do you a favor, but now you gotta do me a favor. Right. So maybe yeah. he knew a lot about these, you know, intricate dealings, whether it be like stealing patents from other companies, right? Or who knows what they were up to. But perhaps that's why he had that on him because he had that information. 
But obviously, he's done. He's like, ah, you know, after 2013, he made these shitty nah, movies. He's, good. he's not going to fucking hang out with any other shitty characters. Not bankrolling any of these losers, right? right? He would never him. work with another fraudster, right? No. There's no chance. No. Except when he worked with uh, convicted of fraud, uh, convicted fraudster Sean Rutenberg. No big deal. Yeah. Like, to God, I'm pretty one. sure he's still in jail. Right? Yeah. And this like, is late 2010. So, you know, he's dead in 2017. So this is pretty close. He's in, he's working with this. Other, he's in bed with this guy. Yeah. Other. So what is it? He's a Cineplex Odeon co-founder. No, he, oh, that, that, no, sorry. He was introduced by Cineplex Odeon co-founder. I was part of Myron the Cineplex Gottlieb family. or whatever his name is. Yeah. Myron Got, Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Yeah. Who had met Rosenberg in prison following his conviction of fraud in the collapse of Livent. So Livent was his company, I'm, I'm guessing, right? I have no fucking idea what it is. But and then uh, Rutenberg persuaded, persuaded Sherman to invest in his development of an online trivia game, which obviously didn't pan, pan out. out I, I mean, anyone, if anyone pitches, you know, the history of Hey, you want to help me make an online trivia game? The answer should be no. You want to invest hey, in an was online one, trivia we game? We played that one pretty hard. What Which was that one? one? Remember? The one I used to beat your ass at? Marvel trivia? Oh, you yeah. You like, okay. picked the category and we played yeah, it. It yeah, was a blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Maybe that was the app. Maybe. Short-lived. But, you know, Barry yeah. Sue's like ruined, but he was like, a second he didn't like, he's like, ah, I don't like it. Sue him. Um, yeah. Well, he believes he pocketed the money. Like, he didn't get his in- worth but his investment. he probably fucking did. He probably did, yeah. But so did Frank D'Angelo. So yeah. He made, the made, difference Making the shittiest movies. <laughs> now, yeah. the Sicilian vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag look it up. Um, yeah. So now it's like, now when you start to paint this picture, you're like, okay, well. Barry Sherman was not this, not, not just like a, well-meaning philanthropist who wanted to give cheap drugs to Canadians because he hated big pharma. He was also a guy that would do anything, anything to make a buck, to send, to go to court, to win a lawsuit, to stick it to whoever didn't like him. He had, and en- he had endless enemies at this point. It almost seems like this fucking, like we're about to get into a list of suspects here and this who done it. And it literally feels like we're playing fucking clue. Because yeah. it seems it, like so we start we started the case file like okay these these two elderly people are murdered in their house pillars I mean, of Canadian society like people are murdered fucking Justin time. Trudeau was at his at his funeral the, his funeral. the mayor he, was at his funeral like yeah it was people huge. are murdered all the time and no one makes a huge deal there there's whatever reason but for this case huge political and influential impact in Canada and. Then after you go through, you're like, well, who would fucking, why, why would you murder this amazing, giving, beautiful human being? Why? And then you're like, oh, wait, he actually is involved in all of this other stuff. And there is countless people who would probably, given the chance without any repercussions, would just kill him with their bare hands. <laughs> right? We're about to get into those people. So... Now, just to quickly go over, uh, on the day of the killings, um, it is... It is estimated that Honey arrived home first. They left uh, Apotex. Uh, Honey left first, parked upstairs. Um, the leading theory is that when she opened the door, she was probably met by an intruder there. 
that intruder uh, scuffle ensued. She ended up in the bathroom, either dialed 911, didn't. The phone was hung up and placed on the, on the phone. Whether she was hit or not, we don't know. At that point, um, Honey was most likely dragged through the top floor and then down the stairs, which could have possibly accounted for her, um, you know, face mark, like the injuries to her face. Postmortem abrasions. They're abrasions. That's what the autopsy said. We don't 100% know if that's in fact the case. But the idea is that he, he, she would have been dragged down the stairs because 15 minutes later, Barry comes in the lower garage, enters the garage, and as he comes in through the door where the spiral staircase is, with a handful of papers and his briefcase, he's met by the intruder. Uh, those are dropped, uh, and then at that they don't really know what happens other than the next they're both dead by the pool, right, hanging from the bar. Now, when you start to look at it like this, I mean. Th- they had one security camera, right? One security camera in the house, which was in the pool room, which wasn't running, never ran. And these two were hung there. Now, I start to think that, man, this seems like a professional hit. This seems like, right? Even Canadian, it's it's wild because like you watch Canadian interviews about this and they're like, this is rare. Like normally, a, like this is how Canadian we're like, normally a whack job is uh, with a gun. Mm-hmm. For everything we've seen in movies, a whack job is uh, someone with a gun who comes and shoots them. These people are strangled. Very rare. Um, who has these kind of resources, right? Big Pharma, right? By all accounts, Big Pharma and Barry Sherman were at fucking odds, right? He well, was, when you think about it, how much more professional of a, a job does it be when you don't leave anything behind? There's no blood. There's no nothing. No Strangulation nothing. is almost the perfect form. Of well, there's a crazy... There was a crazy stat I came across too. There was there was one one guy who's investigating murders in North America, and it was like eight hundred thousand murders since whatever, and only twenty two murders involved elderly people being suffocated, strangled. Twenty two out of all of those over all the years of this guy keeping track of murder, like two two elderly people being strangled to death has only happened twenty two times, and usually because of something to do with money. Now, it fits the bill. Fits the bill. The second thing is, is like, you know, you have to obviously, like big pharma, these big pharmaceutical companies were fucking choked. They were already, there was rumored allegations about like hiding child pornography on his computers, you know, planting drugs. They had investigators, private investigators tailing him, hanging around the parking lots, you know, like leering around, looking in cars, like, they were already kind of doing shady stuff. And it's like, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that these patents are worth, right? And they're just watching these profits go to Barry on stuff that he stole. They've spent, I don't know how much on research and development for, I mean, like, think about that, right? Like, that's, that's fucking wild. Yeah. So the other thing that, why I think it might be Big Pharma, and this is an interesting point, is because... Big Pharma and these big pharmaceutical companies have a lot of money and they have a lot of sway on political will. And the reason I bring that up is because I find it fucking unfathomable that the Toronto Police Service didn't look at anything other than a murder-suicide 
for five to seven weeks until a group of private investigators had to come in and be like, look how, look at this stuff. And they went, oh, feels okay. like somebody was covering it up. Right? It, feels like or, it, it does because, I mean, if you go with all the major metropolises in Canada, Toronto is number one. You would think you would have the best, some of the best detectives in Canada. You think they, they've worked t- tons of murders and other cases similar and they don't, do the due diligence that you would think they would. It's fishy. Right. And, 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 fishy. And, and, and it could be, it could be as this, it could be as simple as this, having enough political sway in certain points that someone just has to say, like, I like murder suicide for this. That's what we're going with. And you, you tell the, you know, you put an investigator on that's, that's, you know, that's, toe in the line of whatever he's told, right? And you're putting the pressure on these top officials, but like, it's murder-suicide, right? And well, e- they're, they're just that, not looking at it. Or you just, something simple as that, be like, you know what? I'm pulling the strings here. We're going to put the majority of our resources on this MacArthur case, and we're going to send a couple duds over to the fucking Sherman case. Easy. A couple easy, guys easy. that you know they're lazy. Couple, Let's couple put rookies. our fucking... Yeah, no, yeah, just somebody that you know it's lazy. It's gonna be like there's nothing easier than walking in and be like murder suicide case closed. Easy peasy. Yeah, who, no suspects, no interviews, no nothing. We don't have to do nothing. Our job's this easy. Who are those fucking uh, two detectives on Brooklyn Nine Nine? The Scully and Hitchcock. Scully and Hitchcock. That's yeah. who they sent. That's who they sent to Absolutely. the fucking Sherman murder. Right, but I I I like Big Farmer for this, and I think a lot because it. it the hit is personal. They didn't steal anything. Nothing gets stolen. Um, right? They're left. And it, it message sent. It sends like it sends a message. And did you, I don't know if you guys came across this. I randomly came across that the Shermans in their living room have art of two human figures sitting with their backs against the wall in a very similar fashion to how the Shermans were found. We should have a picture of it. Yeah, it's well, super it. bizarre. The way that Barry's positioned with his right leg over top of his other leg that's straight out. Like, it, that is not a natural fucking position for somebody so, to be in. Yeah. So this is like a, it's like an that's abstract art. It's an abstract art piece. I don't even know what it's made of. Like, it's like cardboard it's a, it, or some it's weird a, shit. No, it's apparently made from junk. Like, just random shit. But it's made to look abstract. Like, it's kind of, it looks like a human figure, but you... Not really. And this and the bizarre is, thing too is this has been in just like how they're found. This thing was made in the 70s and apparently the Shermans have had it since the early 80s. And it's and, been in every one of their houses. And like it's it's in the it's the the hallway that leads to the stairs and like to the pool. This is the adjacent room. Like this is the room across the hall from the pool. So it's like those are right there. And right. it it it, like it it, it, it does look like the bodies are staged. Like you, you don't cross your legs to suffocate, right? And it's like, if you're killed, it looks like you would be, they would be purposely like, you would be kicking your legs if you were getting strangled or something. You know what I mean? So it's, it seems like- It's weird. It, it, it's, it's very, very strange. It feels weird. like the legs were, po- you know, put like that The afterwards. bodies were staged. It looks like to- They're sitting the same resemble way. Resemble those fucking statues. Statues. Uh Honey's on the right, berries on the left. Like it's just like those the layout of those statues. It's a, a message was sent. Like weird. It's targeted. It's a targeted. It right. seems like a targeted hit. Absolutely no evidence. No sign of forced entry. They the people whoever was there would have had to know the house. Right, would have had to know what they were doing. Um, moved quickly and efficiently to get in and out. Right. Subdue. Well, I mean, they're in their 70s, so how hard would it have been to subdue them? It's hard, but, but no weapon use, right? Like strangulation, both of them. 
I the one thing that I would like if these professional hitmen wanted to make it look like a suicide, I think they maybe would have fucking like why not force them to at gunpoint to write a suicide note, something like that, or have somebody that you know made one up to take actually, one up to I actually mean, hang themselves from like something that a person trying to commit suicide would yeah do. right like well, so that's but, that's but the one he, thing that I come I to think that with. but here's I'll, I'll argue this point and we'll. As we move on, this point will get more clear in my perspective, like in my in, in my thought process anyways, is that there is current, we're going to talk about some current litigation that just settled between Barry and some of his family members that was very fucking public, very public. So in my perspective, if there's no suicide note and somehow whoever is pulling the strings, you can't get the cops to not look away from a, a double homicide right away. You already have fucking perfect suspects lined up to potentially, you know, cause let's say, let's say if, if you're shooting like, Hey, we want to get out of the first 48, right? Hypothetically, if you got, if you got a couple of fucking prime suspects that you can kind of point this at perfect. Who's one of these other prime suspects that we might want to look at. Well, if we're going to get um, into this, suspects. we're going to get into this suspect. We have to take it back. We have to take it fucking way back. How far back exactly? We, well, we got to take it back to the sale of Empire. Empire Pharmaceuticals to Barry Sherman. Mm. The deal actually included a written option that Sherman's first cousins, the, fourth or, the four orphans, would mm -hmm. have the right to work for the company at age 21 and purchase up to 5% of each um, each of the firm shares, right? So not even that would have given purchase. I thought just be awarded five percent. Well, apparently they were able, in, in the write up that I read. They were able to purchase it, which would have given them about twenty percent of the company, right? Right. So Empire was sold. Like we know, Empire was sold sold four years later, which kind of made the agreement null and void. And then three years later, um, in nineteen seventy four, Sherman founded Apotex. Well, in 2000, 2007, those four orphans filed a lawsuit claiming a 20% stake in Apotex and damage, or, or at damages up to $1 billion on the grounds that Sherman failed to honor his 1967 Empire Option Agreement and breached his fiduciary uh, duty to his uncle's sons. So basically, like layman's terms, the brothers claimed that Empire led to Apotex. Yeah. Right? Which it did. It did. it did. And when you look at it through this lens, if you're a businessman and you're slaving away making this company, you turn this company that was struggling and now it's successful. And in the back of your mind, you're going, at any point in time, I could lose 20%. At any point. Tomorrow, if these people want to show up and buy it, it's theirs. And I will lose 20%. Yeah, but these people are also your fucking cousins who lost their parents. And one of those parents is the one that showed you the fucking ropes in this industry. And you had no I fucking dia going into it. And he took you under his wing knowing that you lost your father at a very young age. Barry was a different breed. By all accounts, he was cutthroat. Absolutely. He didn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. All but he interesting that you say that. Was that you say that he's cutthroat and he didn't give a shit because the cousins contended that Sherman had offered them. Remember, we talked about all that financial assistance, helping them with their fucking careers and bailouts and everything. He offered that financial assistance in the first place in order to make the cousins dependent on him and to keep them from learning about their rights to the business. 
that he sold. Mm. So he used that $15 million that he would fund their, you know, failing business ventures and houses and stuff as a way to keep, you know, keep them under his thumb. Right. Yeah. And because they, they were a lot of them, you know, because of the trauma and stuff, you know, had developed addiction issues that he, you know, by, by rightly so helped them with, but was it out of the kindness of his heart or was it because, you know, it's like they're on a short leash. So he knows what they're doing. And then here's where things get interesting because three months to the day that Barry and Honey were found dead, a lawsuit was dismissed. Stating the sale of Empire nullified the option agreement and Apotex did not own or use any of the assets, goodwill or property or business of Lou Winter's former company. The claimed interest in Apotex was wishful thinking and beyond fanciful. And Sherman then countersued the cousins and was ordered, and they were ordered to pay upwards of $300,000 back to Sherman. And they have nothing. And he wanted a million. Yeah. And the judge settled for 300000 And the judge settled for 300000 the other thing is, so in that judgment, basically they told the, you know, the orphan cousins that like, hey, unfortunately, uh, you would have had to exercise your right to like, to buy empire. That doesn't, was, was so you would have had to exercise or, or shown interest in exercising that right before the sale. When you were like 10 years old. But they yeah. didn't know. That's the thing. They didn't, they had no they idea. Know. They had no idea they were, they were entitled to, to that, right? Well, and this is where the this is where the corporation comes in, right? When Empire dies, it's not Apple. Empire at all anymore. Yeah. Now it's oh, Apotex. Right. Apotex rises from the ashes. Yeah, and, but it's a whole. They have a whole new legal entity in a new company. Yep. That's guaranteed. That's why he, he sold did it. Hundred percent. Why he started the new company because he knew it's the same. This, it, they got in the same industry. This why, is a why? limited. If a limited liability company. Right? Yeah. The LLC. So these family members, one of them ended up, like we talked about, ended up dying. One of them who was still alive, Carrie, Carrie Winter, went in a very popular interview. Uh, we all watched it on the Fifth Estate. You can watch it on YouTube. And in this so interview, Carrie or is it Kevin? Kevin? It's Carrie. Carrie, Carrie Winter. Winter. Um, he actually claims that in the 90s, Barry had hired him to kill Honey Sherman. Claimed that he was getting sick of being around her, couldn't stand being in the same room with her, and basically claimed that I want you to whack my wife. There is a so if you're not from Canada, there is a very good investigative journalist series called The Fifth Estate, which they interview this, they interview him and they ask him this, and he spills the beans. Like, yeah, I was I was asked to kill, and in the end, we didn't go through with it. Like they got cold feet or whatever. So they actually put his feet to the fire a little bit, which I was really impressed by. And they brought in a polygraph, polygraph. and made, made Carrie do the polygraph and ask him if this was, you know, if this story was in fact true. And he in fact failed the lie detector. And then after this, he was obviously quite distraught. And he's like, well, you know, like I, that's what I remember. That's what happened. And then they ask him while he's on the po- like polygraph, did you kill uh, Barry and Honey Sherman, and he refused to answer. His lawyer was there, refused the answer. But you know what he did say, which gets in my mind is pretty much just as incriminating. They that ask him, to. like, well, "How did you feel against your cousin?" And he basically breaks down a bit and says, "My cousin lied to me and stole everything from me," and said, "I would talk about killing Barry." 
And it was very graphic, Winter said. Fantasized about Carolyn. Yeah. He would come out of the Apotex parking lot and I would behind I would be hiding behind a car and I would just decapitate him. I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot and I'd sit there and wait for the police. And he 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 basically in this interview goes, he goes, I had every he's like, I he's like, you look at me as someone who wants to kill him, I did want to kill him. I hated him. I wanted to see him dead. I hated him. I had all the motives. I had all the motives uh, to kill and him. I have, and I had no alibi. Zero alibi. I have He's zero like, I at, alibi. Because I was at home watching TV. That's it. That's he all I was, it was doing. Very, and he said, it would, would have been very easy for me to have left work at any time because I'm not on the clock. I could have easily have driven over to the Sherman home and did the deed. And he said... He wished he did it. He's like, I wish I did it. At the same time, he threw, I mean, he lived a life of uh, depression and, you know, obviously the childhood trauma. So it turned him to drugs. He was a, he admits to being a crack head. He didn't just do crack. He was a crack head, meaning he. There's no sugar coating. There's no sugar coating. He was a crack head. He was lost in the crack for a while and he's come out of it. But yeah, he pretty much says like, I wish I did it. I could have done it. I have no alibi. I have all the means to do it. I have all the means to do it. But it wasn't wild. But, but it wasn't also me. denies doing it. Denies yeah. uh, denies the polygraph when asked and denies anything uh, any any further comment about it. And he has been cleared as a suspect supposedly. Yes. Supposedly. Um so like maybe there's some information that the private investigators of the RCMP that are, you know, it's not uncommon for investigations to hold a couple pieces of information close to the chest that would only the killer would know to, you know, to make sure it's a solid case. So for whatever reason, uh, we don't really know, but Kerry Winter has been cleared. He's not, a, he's no longer a suspect right now. Well, he's, he's not officially a suspect. Let's put it like this, because when you look at him, Suspicious. It is suspicious. Some of these things he's saying. He's suspicious. Now, is he's got to be the only family member that we're going to look at, right? Before we get into that, though, before we get into family, I just wanted to touch on something because it's a little bit smaller. Okay, so we've talked about the fact that Barry's been prone to litigation. Canada's most litig- litigious man, right? Yeah. So, well, the house that they were currently living in, right? Yeah. When they had it built. The Shermans actually sued the designers and builders of the house for poor construction and recouped two million of the two point three cost. So they built the the house for two point three million and recouped two million of it. And as you can imagine, the parties involved in building the house took like a fucking ridiculous they went financial hit. But the, well, these are most right? of these people are they're blue collar workers. And you know, you know where the most contention was held? You know where the most acrimony about the fucking property was, was held? The pool? In the pool house. Okay. Who oh. had who had come and go fucking whenever they wanted in the last little bit? Who had free range of the house? Renovated who left that. a window? Who left the window fucking half open to let paint dry? Right? Oh, I, see, I see where you're going with this. I see where you're going with this. Right? But but was it the same? Is it the same rent? The same builder that was with the mean, litigation? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think Barry There's no knows? Way. Yeah, but you have no idea, right? One of this guy, one of these guys, one of these contractors it been, it started been, yeah. as a framer, started his own business, became a contractor. Well, he got sued to shit and went broke, so he had to go back to swinging a hammer. 
Mm, well, so he goes back and works as a fucking laborer, swinging hammer, and takes a job at the same house that he helped build that financially destroyed him. So one of the renovators, one of the contractors said, you fucked me over back in the day. I'm going to get you back. Fuck yeah. Right? Like well, destroyed life. Right, right at this pool. We know, we know that, we know for a fact that a window was left over open by a renovator to air out a room that was freshly painted. So it could make sense that if you, if you're working on the team, you're just like, you're just looking for an opportunity and, and you know, you kind of, you, you, you see someone, you're like, yeah, I've got, yeah, leave that window open. Perfect. Right. Um, and you just come and lay in wait, but it's, it does seem the, the part problem with, I have with the renovators when I look at it is the timing, because I always feel that whoever, did this had to have known or been tipped off by someone that they're, they're coming, coming home, home spaced apart because yeah. you've got to act fast because if Barry comes home at the same time, you're fucked. Like you're fucked. You can't do that. Why? They're old. Oh, yeah, yeah, but why could you not so. take two people, two old people? I mean, if one dials nine one one, what if he had, right had, had a gun? What, I think I think the method of murder would have changed. It would have went yeah. from fucking lig ligature strangulation to fucking to fucking double taps. Yeah. Yeah, but right. at, the same, at the same time, when I hear that, I go, okay, well, that's probable, right? It's, that's probably what happened. But what if, if they if they came home at the same time and you were on and you had a gun and you I mean. caught and you caught them before any phones, any anything? The method of murder just changes. But why not just if you already caught them and you have them gunpoint? Why not just make them do whatever you want at that point? But see, here's. The thing is, the thing is for me is this. I feel like you'd put up a struggle. I feel... You know you're going to die either way. You put up a fight. I feel like whoever did this knew their time and knew their patterns because of the fact that they were waiting upstairs first for honey, right? And then when... Well, they, that's a, that's assumption. Honey, no, we, that's we assumption. don't know that. That's an assumption. That. Yes, they, that, that is... It's true. But that's the... You know, when you look at the series of events, honey was home first. Right? Yeah, we know that. And but she that's made all it. We know. She made it into the bathroom across the hall with her phone. We know that. No, we know we that. Don't phone, know that. Okay, how do we know that the fucking killer the, didn't the put the phone in there? We yeah, know, we know sure. the, the phone, phone the ended up in the bathroom. Fair enough. Fair enough. But then, you know, the killer then waits at the bottom of the stairs for Barry because he drops his stuff in surprise. So we know he's waiting, right? So he knows he was taking and that. And like the startled. other thing too is the thing that came to my mind too is. Maybe he came up from behind him and started strangling him, and that's why he dropped the papers. Maybe, right? That's like awesome. in my head, I feel like these were both sneak. Like in my head, sneak I said they both were snuck up, snuck up on, lynched over. It just the odd thing is is the lack of a fight at all. I guess you can that's you what, can put someone. That's out what I real mean. Quick. That's why I think yeah. it's a and that's why I think it was a sneak. Like that's yeah. why I feel like you would fight otherwise, right? So on the on the thing of the renovators, like one of the things that you know you can find in some interviews and some talk is that. Honey Sherman was not friendly to these people renovating her house. Like some... Like, I can go by personal experience. When you work in a rich person's house, they are generally... You work for them and they let you know. Yeah. yeah That's just how it is. They don't go around calling you cracker though, do they? Because... Yeah, she, honey, well, unsavory things yeah, about she, honey, honey and her... Honey was maybe, you know... Cracker? Or was it more like a little anti-Semitic? <laughs> Well, well, no, she, she, was well she was an anti-Semitic because she was Jewish, yeah. but she was Dropping very hard on uh, Middle Eastern people and Arabs and apparently- she didn't like them working in her house. Let's put it which, that way. And like, hey, listen, there's a lot of Arab and, and uh, 
Jewish friction. Like that's a normal thing going back a very long, long time. Thousands right? of so years. Thousands of right? years. Right? Like that's that's so, pretty normal. But apparently she really liked to shit on everybody. Yeah. Well, and especially uh color. Yeah. People of color. And Muslims. <laughs> yeah, Muslims and Arabs and yeah, she, she So her attitude may have triggered what you're saying here. It may have May have pushed someone over the edge to be like, fuck this girl. Well, I'm going to make a fuck loose link. Family. I'm going to make a loose link that I kind of made between the renovators and possible extremist terrorist groups. And the reason oh, is, yeah, a little jump, little jump, but bear <laughs> with me here, right? One of the things that Barry and Honey Sherman were involved in, and Andrew, you might remember the name. It's now for, it's now past my mind, but they're involved in a group that basically would try to buy and sell assets to bankrupt extremist groups so they couldn't they, so they couldn't fund terrorist activities. United Jewish Appeal. The, yes. So they would yeah. they would work, you know, in basically like a counter-terrorist group, right? But by bankrupting their corporations and their companies and what they were trying to invest their money in, they were actively trying to bankrupt them ahead of time, right? So this group would was obviously fucking pissing off extremist groups, right? So you have you have this and obviously, you know, it, it it was known that they were part of this group. So maybe their names are getting floated around of like of of possible people that they want killed, these extremist groups, right? Now you have renovations, you have someone in there who just goes, "Hey, I'm working in their house." So you have maybe an affiliate, someone who's works there who knows someone who knows someone who's in involved with an extremist group and they're like, I'm working in their house right now. And they go, can you leave a way for us to get in? Right. And so basically they're sending a message to the United Jewish appeal. Do it. That, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Basically United like, but there was no real message. There was nothing to say that they're they dead. Left the message. I know, but there the was no like, sense. But maybe it has something to do with that statue. Maybe those statues, there's meaning in that in their positioning of how they were positioned that we don't understand. But I love someone the reach, does. But I have no idea. Well, and and it's not only that too, because they actually got in some hot water with the JDL, the Jewish Defense League. Is that um, like the Justice League? Pretty much. It's <laughs> like Mossad's and <laughs> just but, all lawyers. But, um, they got a little bit of hot water with them because they were staunch supporters of the Canadian Liberal Party. And the uh, the JDL are like hardcore right wing, mm. and they weren't okay with them backing the the Liberal Party and the Trudeau government. Yeah, and, then, and like so, there was a lot of conflict there. Like they actually like did some protesting at his booster campaigns and everything like that. Like, and and Barry also blocked a big investigation into into like his. He blocked a big investigation into like his dealings with like the Trudeau fundraising. He like put up a lot of money to block any kind of investigation. Yep. So it, it, it's that is a kind of interesting that may, maybe this has something to do with that, right? Well, and the JDL like right is, is on the FBI's terrorist list, mm. right? Right. So like maybe that's right. We've seen it, it's it's it. I don't think it's crazy to think it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. But why don't we ground it more? What's Andrew, you said there was there potentially another. I will family, talk right? about something that kind of this this is where my like when I put up my fucking uh, Pepe Silva board on the wall, yeah. and I was connecting <laughs> fucking you know the red fucking what do you call all it? Your, all your lines and dots. Yeah, the lines, the dots, shit. and all that shit. 
something that really stuck out to me in an interview, Jonathan Sherman, the only son of Barry and Honey, um, he described his father as being brilliant, but lacking in emotional and social intelligence. Okay. Sounds about so, right to me. From right? So this is, this is a man that, you know, he's lacking the compassion. He, like Braden said, he put his business before everything else. He didn't go on family vacations. He was busy at work. He acted like opted out because he wanted to focus on work. Okay. From all accounts, it was a hard, cold upbringing for these kids, even though they grew up, you know, with silver spoons up their ass. Yeah. Either way, in the summer of 2017, so we're talking right before the murders, months, Barry had lost a drug patent case, right? Appletex was likely going to have to pay upwards of $580 million to a rival company in January of 2018. Supposedly, Barry had very little cash liquidity and was scrambling for ways to pay. Sources say Barry wanted Jonathan, his son, and his business partner to help by mortgaging, by putting up for mortgages or putting mortgages on their chain of nine self-storage properties, all purchased with instant interest-free loans from Barry. Okay. Right before his death, he recalled a $60 million loan that he had loaned Jonathan. Right? Yeah. So let, let's bring in the family members, right? This is Canada's most litigious man who is at the time of his de death had 1,200 cases open. A lot of them, he was not winning. And then you have fucking kids who are sitting here looking at their inheritance being fucking dwindled away. He's asking for money back, okay? He's been doing ridiculously terrible business deals with shady people, losing half his stake in Apotex due to bad investments in fucking dick pills, nutrition, <laughs> nutritional supplements. Fundraising, uh, funding no, movies, C-list He's movies. funding... He's funding fucking movies. He's he's funding Frank D'Angelo, Canada's Fruit Kings, fucking also, you know, Moonlighting as a sex offender. And he's still, he's losing upwards a hundred million dollars on these duds. Okay. These kids grew up in a cold, uncaring household, right? Like I said, there's no family, family vacations. Close to Barry's death, just out of nowhere, he randomly decided to rework his and Honey's wills. All right. It was reported that Barry Sherman was planning to make a substantial donation to a charity and also give Honey upwards of 100 to 500 million to donate to whoever she wanted to. Okay? Well, you're, painting a, you're painting a perfect picture for me. It would make sense for the... Listen, it's going to get even fucking shadier, right? Because you have brother-in-laws. You have Jonathan and brother-in-law who are trustees for the will executors for their estates. They have been the ones that have been fighting to keep these documents fucking sealed, right? Because they're worried that the killer is going to see where all the money's being distributed and come after some other people. Yeah. Does that sound like a fucking legit excuse to you? Do you want things to get even fucking shadier? Love in, 20 shit. in 2019, you've got this fucking property. Listen, every, we talk about it all the time with these haunted houses that people live in. Right? People have been murdered. These houses have bad juju, but people are going to move in because they want a fucking deal. 
Yeah. Right. Everyone, I'm going to move in. So obviously, you know what? This is a beautiful house that has fucking how many different entrances and how many rooms and a fucking lap pool. It's a beautiful house. So obviously we're going to resell this house, make a little bit of money out of it and, and, and divide it up between the family. Right? No, because in 2019, it was fucking demolished with all their belongings inside of it. It was demolished. The family decided to demolish this house. Bad juju. And sell the property. Hmm. Well, when you the family has that much money, I mean, you can do whatever. You want. I, you know, I the, I understand that aspect of like, the, but you could easily like that's a guy. So you're, you're any kind of evidence that could have been lingering or anything that is gone. gone. But you can I can also look at it through the lens of we have the we have the financial means, and I never want to have to look at that house again where my parents died. So you I don't can, have I can to. look. I, yeah, none of them. I don't. None of them live there. Yeah, none of them live in that in that vicinity. Okay, so. Here's the kicker for me. When we're talking about these professional hits, you're telling these people have these people have knowledge of where where Honey is. They know Honey's going to be at the house before Barry, right? We know Barry's coming in the at the coming after that. So why fucking kill Honey in the first place? Because she's there. But she was at the house first. They were split up. They didn't spend a lot of time together. Why kill Honey in the fucking first place? Because you well, don't want if Barry any- Sherman dies, Honey. Honey survives him and all the estate goes to Honey Sherman. As a pretty normal for a yeah. wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. And even, Why kill both of them? Because you want control. You want control of the money. You want the money. Right, you want what's You've left worried. of it. Right, and, and listen, maybe, here's the thing, if they're not, if they can, maybe it's something where it's like if they both die, a lot of those, that litigation goes away. Well, not only does the litigation go away, but the fucking stupid fucking investments go away. The donations go away. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't the take much to stops. It doesn't take much for me to have to look at, take a hard look at Jonathan Sherman. I mean, they were not close. He's, they weren't close. His, at his all. eulogy for his dad, pretty cold. No tears in his eyes. No tears. Cold. And noticeably, like, no family member standing with him. Other eulogies, family members are up there in support. No one stands with him. It's gotten to the there. point now where some of the, like, one of his sisters actually doesn't talk to him anymore because she believes he had something to do with it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean... Well, when there's had, no, when there's no, nothing stitched up at the end, people are going to wonder forever. Well, there's no, there's no fine forms of uh, fucking, of fourth century, anything like that, so... Who else can get access to the house that's not going to stress? You know, your son walks in. You're not going to fucking freak out. You're going to be like, hey, what's going on, Jonathan? Well, next thing you know, he starts mm. strangling you. I don't know. I just... I, do you think he would do it himself, though? Like, that's the thing. I, no, I don't. Right? I, I think he would have paid to have it professionally done. At that, the end of the day, in this case, for me, the one thing is just follow the money. Follow the fucking money. Where's the money now? Where are these where? billions of dollars now? With the kids. Who had the most to gain? Well, it's tough, man. People because on the will. A lot. Like you, There's a lot of people who had a lot to gain or had a lot of... I mean, revenge, resentment. Yeah. Right? I like, mean... He, but he, Barry Sherman's basically fucking Julius Caesar. And we got about 50 different people working on the Senate that took stabs at him. Like, yeah. I, I'm not... There's so many people that wanted this guy dead. I understand that. But I just... When it comes down to what are you willing, you know, what are you going to risk? Well, I'd risk a lot for a fucking billion dollars. 
Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If Barry, if Barry, Jonathan would know that Barry had said and was saying, I'm surprised Big Farmer hasn't killed me. Right? Yeah. I'm surprised absolutely. they haven't killed me. A thousand bucks in the right, you know, in the right pocket, you can have someone dead. And maybe that's a reference you know, to him hiring, trying to hire Carrie earlier and Carrie setting up a hit. And then. Well, and he knows all about the beef with Carrie too. Right. He knows so, all the people that want his dad dead. Right. So it's, he, you know, he would, he could easily frame this to, you know, look like a, a plethora of other people very quickly. Right. Absolutely. So I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really, really tough one to, you know, pin down. Well, it's a tough one think. because it's really, it's all speculation because no, there's no evidence. Yeah. That's the problem. There's, there's really nothing. Like he probably, crazy boys. He, the, if you follow the money, yeah. Like, okay, who, who benefits? Yeah. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. 100%. But there's really nothing else. You're like, Fuck. yeah. It's a I, good one. Yeah. I just, I truly think that, you know, what looking at this, because this kind of reminded me of like when I started to look into like the big, big farmer and shit, like, you know, this espionage shit. Like, it, you could play, this could be a fucking movie. The, the Barry Sherman stealing these fucking documents and shit. And then the oh, yeah. big farmer trying to plant stuff. It, it started to remind me of like a mob story. And then I was thinking in my head that like, you know, like in the in the seventies and stuff in like New York City, like any construction, like the the construction trade in New York was in New Jersey controlled by the mob, and if you wanted to build anything, you had to pay was. a percentage to the mob. That's how it was, definitely. right? Now, what if these kind of organized crimes, these like really like high functioning organized crimes, have moved on to industries like big pharma? Right. And they're just they're it's it's kind of a perfect front in my eyes because you, I'm thinking like it's medicine. It's making people better. Right. Like it's it's here to help people. But really, you see all this fucking shady, like especially in this one, like all this shady business going on behind it. It kind of makes me think that, like, is there a possibility that these things are run and operated by, you know, some sort of element of, you know, criminal underbelly? Right, so it's absolutely stuff. But yeah, let us I mean, know what you think. Holy yeah. shit! There's so many ins and outs of this case. Hashtag look it up. There's tons of fucking awesome thirty minutes. There's suspects hour, we didn't even mention. Yeah, ten hours. However much research you want to do in this, there's videos and documentaries that will exceed. If you want to put a hundred hours, there's hundreds of hours worth of uh, looking into this case. Hashtag look it up. Tell us what you think. Who who fits this? Who who do you think? Let us know in the in the comments and stuff. Um, so I got a theory of the week. We've got theory um, of the week. You know, sometimes you know you can get it through many means. Uh, one of the ways is to head to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a five star review. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, do them all just for fun. Um, this is a five star po- uh, rating from uh, Kilted Commando. From the United States, it says five stars. I approve. Where do I even start? I've been into things like aliens, alien abductions, mysterious places, etc., for around thirty-five-ish years. So that's what my podcast history is full of. I found you quite by accident as a suggestion on my Amazon Music app about two months ago, and have been listening ever since. I started with Case File One. I am now on seventy-one. At running the risk of sounding like a mystery conspiracy level D bag, it's hard to find a subject along these lines I don't already know a ton about. However, I still love listening to them. 
the back and forth banter between you guys keeps me entertained for hours at a time. Y'all are the best thing to come out of Canada since gravy fries. Uh, if you haven't already done a case file on Stargates, we have, it's coming up for you. Uh, I'd love to hear one. Keep up the good work and I'll keep listening. Keep those prolapsed brown eyes on the sky. <laughs> Dale from Michigan. Uh, Dale, uh, Kill to Commando, you are this week's Theorite of the Week. Thank you very much. Hell yeah, that. that's fucking awesome. Sunlight on the b-hole, it's important. Yeah. You gotta bleach, you gotta bleach it to yeah. sunlight, you know? Absorb energy that way. Yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> Works. Personal experience. No big deal. <laughs> I think you just do full body bleaching, don't you? Yeah, yeah, look at you. I, I can't. I can't do full body bleaching. <laughs> Looks like you went crazy with the bleach, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Hold on, oh. turn. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> hey, hey, look to your right. Just stop there. Zell, turn. No, turn right a little bit, just ever so slowly. To my right? Yeah, yeah, slowly. A little more right there. Do you see that eyebrow that he's got hanging out there? Look at that thing. <laughs> That's a good oh, one. Yeah, I'm going to pull a zoom on that. Look at that. Look at that zoom. Zoom, zoom. Oh. You wouldn't believe the eyebrows I get. Right That's why you fucking Whoville over here. I like it. I once pulled a six inch eyebrow out of my brow. Oh, yeah, I get those bad boys too. Like, I get I get a few right, Eugene right Levies. It pulls right through, like it's somehow wound through all the strands. And you pull it like. What you're, what you're saying to me, what I'm hearing here is you only have about six eyebrow hairs that are. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just like kind of like dread. <laughs> They dread through on the on the brow there. No yeah. big deal. Anyways, if you're not supporting the show, you want early access to all the case files, ad-free, all the bonus content, you gotta go to aliantheorist.com. Hit the support link. It'll take you to where you need to go. Over, I don't know, we've got fucking 200 and... I don't even know anymore. 220, 230 hours of bonus stuff. Tons of Tons of bonus stuff. Tons of uh, we appreciate all the support. This week's newest supporters, we got Sarah Tate, Super Socks, Leaf, Weemer goes up from a goes up one dollar in their pledge. Awesome! I dig it. Thank Love you. it. That's how you, that's how you get your name read twice. Yeah, go up one one dollar. Tyler Bertrand, Chad Marks, and Max O Max O'Donnell. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We fucking appreciate it. Hey, and as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. <laughs> <laughs>